the masters almost surely have a plan This clearly may be something near beyond the realm of man And until you thoroughly tested every last post just That's true, Dr. Sayers. Very well. Where would we be without THC? Because we know they're lying to us, just don't know to what degree. Yeah, where would we be without THC? The highest side chat show, Greg Carwood Company. How's it going, higher side chatters? Drinking a little drink, smoking a little smoke from sunny San Diego. I'm Greg Carlwood, and today we're just trying to reconstruct some truth out of the mountain of lies we have to go on in a whole host of areas. In fact, it's no secret deception runs deep in the official narratives of history, whether we're talking about the possibility of another worldly influence in ancient Egypt, suppressed discoveries of giants in early America, or the undeniable and oftentimes ironclad influence of the international banksters. Because as important as these things are, they never make it into the history books. And if it weren't for guys like today's guest, we'd know even less. His name is Xavier Hayes, and he's been here once before in the early days of the Higher Side Chats talking about his book, Aliens in Ancient Egypt, The Brotherhood of the Serpent and the Secrets of the Nile Civilization. And it seems like he's been putting the pen to paper quite a bit since then, having released Elvis is Alive, The Complete Conspiracy, Robot Zombies, Transhumanism, and the Robot Revolution, The Suppressed History of American Banking, How Big Banks Fought Jackson, Killed Lincoln, and Caused the Civil War, Ancient Giants of the Americas, Suppressed Evidence in the Hidden History of a Lost Race, and several others. It's a cornucopia of conspiracy goodness, folks, and I can't wait to get into it. Xavier Hayes, my man, welcome back to the often hazy Higher Side Chats. Well, thanks for having me back on. We're going to have fun today. It's going to be a smoke-filled uh, odyssey of truth. <laughs> I like it. And it's great to have you back, man. Clearly, you have been busy since we last talked. I figured we could probably start with the suppressed history of American banking just because there has been a very persistent rumor in the conspiracy world that America never really gained true independence and that below the surface, money still flowed right back to the British royal family and the banking bloodlines that they work with. Some even say it still does. And is that something you would concur with? Yes. Right now, since 1913, basically, you know, when the Federal Reserve kind of took over, it's pretty much been ironclad of banking, Rothschilds and those sort of characters controlling what's going on. And, you know, there was a little hope that Trump would, you know, actually do something. But it seems that, you know, he was kind of interested in repealing the Glass-Steagall Act which was brought back in by the Clintons. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's pretty important to not make it so much of a centrally controlled banking institution, which it is. I mean, they're not even part of the government. It's, it's literally private. I'm sure a lot of the listeners know this already. So, you know, to have this control, you know, you can kind of find the origins of it in 1913 and with the Titanic, actually, which is kind of funny. You know, any of the bankers who opposed this Federal Reserve Act uh, got a one-way ticket on the Titanic. And, uh, <laughs> good way to get rid of your competition. Yeah. But as far as you know, going back in America and history, most are familiar with Andrew Hamilton. Alexander? Uh, excuse me, Alexander Hamilton. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, Alexander Hamilton getting you know the Rothschild sort of Federal Reserve central banking system into play. Jefferson, everybody was opposed to it, but he sort of had Washington on the side. 
So that was able to, despite the victories in the Revolutionary War, that was still in place. Now, what happened was it was only allowed a certain charter and time period. And when it came time for renewing, it wasn't. And this is why we had the War of 1812, Mm -hmm. basically, which was the part two of the American Revolution. So, you know, this war was pretty critical and pretty much forgotten. You know, you had the British coming down and just kind of, you know, they sacked Washington, burned the White House to the ground, basically. A crazy windstorm pretty much saved everyone. It was like a little hurricane that kind of came out of nowhere. Yes. Allowed time to, uh, you know, get rid of them at that certain point location. (laughs) It was pretty interesting, you know, very provident. And then you have down there in the Battle of New Orleans with Andrew Jackson. Now, Andrew Jackson, of course, has been the subject of a lot of, you know, controversy lately. They want to replace him on the $20 bill. It's kind of interesting that he was even on the $20 bill, considering that he's pretty much the only person to ever defeat the Rothschilds. Right. So that that's kind of, you know, either a, a little odd nod to him, you know, because it's very interesting. Like a mockery. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, so we get down to this, this point in history where basically... I mean, we're, we're, we were damaged goods, man. The, the, the French were up top, and the, the British were about to come through the Gulf, sack New Orleans, capture New Orleans. And if they would have got control of that, it would have been game over. But what we had is Andrew Jackson getting you know, pirates and free blacks and anyone he could to get together to fight this British, to, to fight this invasion. Mm-hmm. And somehow, you know, with like 200 men, he was able to have this monumental victory and miraculous victory over thousands of troops, basically saved the war and prevented, you know, the, the complete takeover. So this is the Battle of New Orleans, a uh, very important victory, even though now New Orleans is, you know, fall victim to the social justice warrior uh, <laughs> <laughs> mentality. You know, they're removing all these statues and ignoring history. It's, it's straight 1984. I mean, Orwell was rolling in his grave. It's absolutely ridiculous. Hmm the state of affairs now. So yeah, you have Jackson who prevented this, you know, this terrible loss. And we had basically the same thing after the war of the original war. You have the kind of, you know, we have debts and all this this stuff. And Mm -hmm. so it's basically kind of the same thing where, where we were in a position that because the charter didn't pass and it led to the war. Now you have all this debt. So they kind of had a, no choice but to incur another debt a little bit after this this war. But this is only a short-term sort of thing, mm-hmm. and this is what allowed Andrew Jackson to start running for president because you know he ran a first term, and he was basically defeated, but defeated by complete you know fraud. And everybody was mad. Everybody knew it. He knew it. But it's kind of the first little instance where they had the, the good old boys <laughs> mm-hmm. making sure they were going to win. Right. So with that sentiment, he, he ran again, and this time he, he won, despite everything they could do to think of to make sure he didn't, but he, he won. And, you know, he basically had to win another term in order to defeat, like, the, the charter was going to expire, literally, like, the same time as, as his second term was running out. Mm-hmm. So he had to make sure that was defeated, and he did. And he survived like three assassination attempts. Right. There's one story in your book that I thought was pretty badass where you write about his duel with Charles Dickinson. 
Apparently, he knew Dickinson was a bad shot, so when they turned to fire, Jackson just stood there and took the bullet, figuring it wouldn't be a kill shot, and then he could steady himself and fire back focused. And I mean, <laughs> that's pretty ballsy, man. Yeah, Jackson had balls of steel, man. <laughs> you know, and that he, he had over 100 duels, I believe, and that specific duel was over a, a horse race. You know, he was, <laughs> you know, he didn't get paid. So he was kind of, he was one of those guys, you know, and he knew that. That's true. He didn't realize, okay, I could take the first shot. And he took that shot, and then he just kind of steadied himself and blew the guy away. And the funny thing is he had that ball, you know, that little bullet. It remained in his chest up until he died. And Damn. So, you know, there were times he, he would breathe, he'd hear it whistle. <laughs> That's pretty badass. So, he, you know, he was a – yeah, he was a badass. You know, he, like the rest of those people in, in that time, you know, they have this sort of – background that's not acceptable you know in a how we look at things but it's history you know jackson made his fortune on slaves he was a poor he was nothing really he he had nothing he was like the first prisoner of war president i mean his family died when he was like 12 and he was in the revolutionary war basically as a teenager captured by the british he wouldn't you know shine the general's boots so he slashed him across the face and he, he basically made his way south with nothing got enough money to get some slaves and then basically built his little empire. He was basically one of the first lawyers down there in the South, and he was one of the first to have a Mason's Lodge in Tennessee, much like, you know, Meriwether Lewis and them. Most of those old school dudes were Masons. Right. You know, it's not a big deal. (laughs) (laughs) Trump's a Mason, basically, you know, among other things. Mm. (laughs) So it's just, that's just kind of par for the course. Of course, yeah. You know, but, you know, so Jackson, he dies, and there's not really, you know, since he defeated the Rothschilds and put them out of business because he ended all of their their central banking schemes, right, times were really good afterwards, as you could imagine they wouldn't. So people weren't really a fan of his after the fact. And it was pretty much kind of this way, you know, really hard times really poverty and basically up into the civil war. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you definitely have done your homework on that period of American history and banking in general. And I'm kind of curious how far back you can take the banking system because our first conversation was largely about the Shemsu Hor, the Brotherhood of the Serpent in Egypt that you referred to as kind of the first secret society. Apparently, they set up the systems of control like banking and the court system and Egyptian society. Have you found any continuity to the story of bankster priesthoods running everything, even straight back to Egypt? Yeah, I mean, you see that in ancient Egypt. I talked about that in my book. This priest class, right? Whether it was gold or silver or items or objects, you know, there was always some sort of control Sort of like it's like religion, you know, it's a cult. So even way back then, they had their own little cults and their modes of fear, basically with you know where you're gonna go when you die and all mm-hmm. this, right? I mean, the whole story of kind of the you know the whole heaven and hell and going to Peter's gates, all that kind of comes from ancient Egypt and the weighing of the heart ceremony. So you weigh your heart against the feather, and if it's lighter or whatever, then you you know, which is basically true, you know, if you if you study the Indian. And the Far Eastern stuff, if you base it on like karma, right? And the laws of the universe. So the laws of the universe are the laws, right? Mm-hmm. And if things are based on karma and 
if you have the yin and yang, right? Because there's basically just two forces, right? You have a positive and a negative. So if you live, you know, we're in a constant state of evolution anyway. So if you live in a certain way, you know, a negative way, and you do negative things and you do bad things, you're going to pay, you know, of course. You're going to pay on earth and you're going to pay when it's time for you to resurrect or it's time for you to move on to the next realm, right? So Hopefully. Yeah, of course. <laughs> um, so you have these concepts like all mixed mass together and over time they kind of get misinterpreted or repainted to fit certain other ideologies. Sure. You know, but the idea of, yeah, this ancient form of money with control and banking, it's, it's you can see it in ancient Egypt, you find it in Babylon, the Babylonian bankers, right? So you have even Jesus, right? You know, Jesus was, <laughs> he, he was no fan of the money changers. Right. It is interesting that this Shemsu Hor group popped up to install all these control systems, and they are represented by the serpent because we have all these rumors of reptilian overlords, the classic snake in the Garden of Eden, a previous age where the world was ruled by giant reptiles, snake visions also dominate shamanic journeys. These things do stack up and make you wonder about this persistent cultural reptile theme, don't they? Yeah, it's unbelievable. I mean, you have... There's a there's a new book that came out, Alien World Order, by Kim Lastin, which you know talks a lot about this stuff, the reptilians and everything. And you have the theme of the reptilian basically all over in every ancient culture since kind of the beginning of written history, and in pop culture it's there as well. So it kind of it's strange, just like it keeps popping up, popping up, popping up, and then you know someone like David Icke who helped kind of make this theory popular. He gets he gets bashed, of course, mm. you know, but it's funny how almost everything he was talking about is true. It's been kind of proven true, except for this one thing, <laughs> which <laughs> I don't know. I mean, like his, his record's pretty spot on. But, you know, here's the thing, though, this reptilian presence, if it is in an interdimensional form or a 4D right. form, you know, the government's known there's beyond the, the spectrums of light, yeah. you know, understand like so. Like they've known this for a long time. So if they're just kind of emitting new light forms and new wavelengths or whatever, so who's to say that, you know, that there's alien entities that exist in these forms that we mm -hmm. just can't see? Now, then you have the physical presence, and I've always kind of wondered and made it look like where, okay, you have the physical presence. I think that might have died down because if there was an interdimensional and a physical Maybe it just switched to interdimensional over time. Or it could be two different things. I mean, it could be just two different reptilian species mm -hmm. in general, right? It doesn't mean there has to be only one form of reptilian species. What if there's many? Right. You know? So uh, you get into the like the Sinclair family mm -hmm. with the dinosaur, right? The Sinclairs are from the Knights Templar. Yeah, they had the Sinclair gas station, which had the dinosaur logo and oftentimes like a dinosaur statue out front. Yep, yep. Very cool. Mm -hmm. Very cool. Very weird, though. Yeah. Why? <laughs> Reptilian. Of all the things to choose, like, why that? Yeah, very, very strange. So you have these things, and then you have the interesting, the Muppets, right? Not the Muppets, but Jim Henson. You know, he created the show, the dinosaur show. Right, that 90s sitcom. The 90s, it was huge, very popular. Not the mama. <laughs> so they have this whole thing uh, Jim Henson helped create, right? But before that, he was negotiating a deal with Disney 
about the Muppets, his most cherished creation. And he didn't want to give up control. So basically he told him, you know, it's not going to happen. And he died like the next day of a heart attack. <laughs> right. <laughs> and they got control anyways. So, I mean, that's how it is. But you look at the connection with these things. And he was a Hollywood insider. So he had to kind of been maybe throwing out there that with this, this dinosaur show, showing these upright, walking, talking dinosaur aliens, working class dinosaur aliens, you know, having the same sort of lives that we're kind of stuck in, <laughs> right? Having to work, having to, the banking and all this, all those themes were contained within that show. So it's very interesting. <laughs> so you get the Sinclairs and they're the ones who have the Rosalind Chapel in Scotland. Mm-hmm. And that chapel has, you know, images of corn, you know, crazy things they couldn't have known, which was before Columbus's trip, right? So that's that whole theory that the Templars came over here before in the 1300s or 1400s. And if you look at the Rosalind Chapel, you'll find imagery of this. Hmm. And, and it's strange because later on they come, they have this Sinclair, you know, and we know like Lord Byron supposedly had reptilian. Really? You know? So there's, there is the element of in the 1400s, 1500s, 16, even going up into the Victorian era of the physical traits of some reptilians still being around. Damn. You know, it wasn't far, far removed from going hunting the dragons, right? You know, the knights going hunting the dragons. Well, what does that mean? Yeah, so, and their dragons are always guarding a lot of wealth, a big pile of gold or some shit. Oh, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, kill the dragon and get all the treasure. Yeah, you know? man. <laughs> That's awesome. And I do just love that story about Jim Henson and the dinosaurs. Like he knew the truth and wanted to somehow mock them in mainstream media. Just all the reptilian connections in general. It does make you wonder. We even noted last time that the most famous video game ever, Mario, is about battling a family of crown wearing reptiles. And it's not conclusive, but it's very clearly in the cultural memory. And I used to be very into this idea of aliens from another planet coming down and hooking us up with a societal jumpstart, for better or worse. But now I actually think contact that it might be like shamanic journeying or, you know, tapping into that astral plane, because that was big in those ancient times. And I think that type of contact and influence is a bit more likely than a ship landing somewhere on the Giza Plateau. These tools and systems of control could just as easily passed from some reptilian, archonic beings to an elite priesthood like the Shemzuhor by more esoteric means than physical, kind of like you were suggesting before. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, we have so many references and so much historical, you know, conundrums mm -hmm. <laughs> that deal with this topic. You know, I'm just going to go through, I have a list right here, just the pop culture alone with the reptilians. Yeah, King Koopa. From Mario Brothers, and you got the Sheestacks, the Sleestacks from Land of the Lost. Rowdy Piper, you know, he was fighting They Live, and They Live, right? Which is, They Live is probably one of the greatest movies ever made. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the score is fabulous. Everything about it. I mean, it's literally like a documentary. <laughs> it's like, whoa. Uh, it really, I mean, it basically explains why John Carpenter, that was basically into him. He kind of kind of got mad at him for that. So, And then, you know, Rowdy Piper was also in Hell Comes to Frogtown. I don't know if you, anyone remembers that no. one, but it's a horrible 80s movie. Oh, it's great. It's, it's super corny. It's like one of those, might even be one of those trauma movies, Traumaville or whatever, that did um, 
Toxic Avenger and all that. Ah. So basically, R- Rowdy Piper has to fight the reptilian, you know, frog monsters in this post-apocalyptic world. It's, it's worth watching. It's pretty funny. And then you got Enemy Mine, right? Dennis Quaid, Louis Gossett Jr. plays the reptilian. And they're basically from Draco, <laughs> like fighting, uh, you know, it's kind of like we're in space in the future fighting these reptilians from, from Draco. You know, that was a movie in the 80s. There's an interesting movie called Dreamscape with Dennis Quaid again, and it's also from the 80s. And he's evolved in a CIA psychic experiment. He ends up doing battle with like a shape-shifting reptilian who's one of the, like the main bad guys in the movie. So it's very strange, very strange. You know, and then we have Conan the Barbarian, of course, Tulsa Doom. Yeah. Pretty, I'm, pretty, I'm pretty sure everyone's kind of familiar with, with Tulsa Doom. You know, and then you have Babylon 5. There's the, the Narns in Babylon 5. You got V, which is one of my favorite series, also from the 80s. You know, and then you can get into the comic books. You got the Amazing Spider-Man with Dr. Kirk Connors, who was reptilian, right? So Yeah, the lizard. Yep, and you know, Fantastic Four, you know, the Sauron and the X-Men, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, of course. Just it's on and on and on and on on G.I. Joe. Oh my god, if you watch episodes of G.I. Joe, it just blow your mind, man. It's <laughs> really ridiculous. It's oh, you just you just start watching it. It's incredible. There it's literally like who was this written for? <laughs> I mean, it's all about the New World Order, it's all about banking and, and the Illuminati and cult. And every kind of little clue, you know, that we know now is already implanted in, in us, basically. Like, we were predictive program this since yeah. children, you know, we didn't even know it. Yeah, G.I. Joe's insane. It's yeah. crazy. Well, that is quite a lot. It's definitely, definitely a major theme. And in terms of that idea that reptilians would have to be physical, you know, I do think the more nuanced understanding is that this cultural memory or there's connection between the elite and something reptilian is more magical or ritual based because it makes sense. The connection between occultists and banking has always been fairly strong. Uh, it was always this priest class. And then we have stories about the Knights Templar and their connection to Baphomet, another possible entity that they got banking practices from. And I don't know how you really craft a fractional reserve system of creating something out of nothing and get everyone to buy into it without some type of spell because we all seem pretty bound and mesmerized by it. Oh, I mean, it's right there on the dollar. Oh bill, yeah. Man. This, <laughs> this is right there. All the, the witchcraftery the sigils and, and symbolism. Yeah. It's, it's there. So, well, think about it. I mean, you, you're only as free as the dollars in your pocket. Mm-hmm. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, we were kind of all of us, you know, and this is why things really don't get done on certain levels. And that's why it's kind of disappointing to see Trump, just make a 180 on basically everything. You know, it's like either he's a complete con man or he got in there and realized, like, <laughs> I mean, what what can you do? You know, like the, the deep, like Ron Paul. I mean, Ron Paul is a real president. Let's just mm-hmm. be honest, man. Like he, he's been saying this for decades, right? right? And he said, you vote all you want. The deep state won't change. Uh, and then you, you don't only have to worry about the deep because the deep state really could care less. I mean, they got off-world technologies. They got all these anti-gravity crafts. I mean, they got the whole, you know, if they if they are going to Mars and buy a you know wormhole technology, who knows, man? Who we don't know what, what right. they know. You understand? Like, there's there's our world and there's like their world that <laughs> the real world that we have no idea uh-huh. about. Well, that's interesting how you bring up Trump in that way, because I noticed that your most recent book is called The Donald Trump Conspiracy, How a Billionaire Businessman Challenged the New World Order. And those are exactly the kind of questions I had, because 
uh, now that he's staying in NAFTA, expanding the war, backtracking on NATO being obsolete, exactly. right. insider right. dealing. I was I obviously hated Hillary, and I was glad when I saw something like the TPP get shot down. But I still really, in my heart of hearts, thought of Trump as a guy in that one percent class who stayed rich, exploiting workers, making shady one-sided deals, and using the same tactics as families like the Rockefellers, the Carnegies, the Sinclairs that we criticize so heavily. So I'm not really surprised that it's the same old thing, because even when Obama was a choice, people voted for him because he was the anti-war candidate when you were listening to the speeches before he was elected. And this is what they did again. They didn't want Hillary. They wanted the guy who's saying, bring the troops home and let's fix this country first. But again, that's never what we get. It's always two puppets, one hand. Right. And this is, you know, and this is why, I mean, I kind of just put it out as an ebook basically because I got offered pretty good amount of money to write something on Trump. Boom. They wanted me to bash him. Basically, they're kind of looking for a, you know, why women hate Trump or whatever, mm. <laughs> which I could have done easily. But, you know, it just it wasn't it wasn't truthful to me. I, mean, I kind of thought the real story was actually what he was saying. I mean, he kind of was going against globalism. I mean, we already knew how devastating Hillary Clinton would have been anyway. So that was never any option at all. So what Trump was saying before he got elected sounded good. Mm-hmm. A few things, not not everything, obviously, but you know there was enough things. But, of course, when he gets in, you know, he, he killed TTP right away. He was off to kind of a good start, but then, boom, you kind of see it, like you said, now it's where, <laughs> yeah, it's... It's half and half, really, because we, we're in a position where you have the Zionist control system in there. You have a lot of things that he's either fooled everybody into or, like you said, I mean, like, yeah, you have those concerns because he is from that mm-hmm. world, you know. His daughter doesn't help. Uh, Kushner doesn't help. Kushner does not help. <laughs> the people he's surrounded with doesn't help. I mean, he, he I don't know, man. Uh, so it's, we'll see what happens, right. you know. Well, I'm curious how you break down the uh, power pyramid in general. It's something I used to ask quite a few guests that I kind of got away from because I just see so many competing factions and it's a real Game of Thrones type situation as far as, you know, what I see. But I'm curious how you break down the power pyramid. Where do you think the true power lies, especially since you have done this history in banking and trying to trace, you know, is there a truth to American independence or not? And these types of things, the Rothschilds and their banking industry when it comes to today like if you try to take the past and extrapolate where it's gone where do you think the capstone of the power pyramid is in modern times i think well okay america is you know it's the illusion you know there we are still free in the sense that there's things we can do here that you can't really do anywhere else our cages are much nicer than other places around the world yeah pretty much there is opportunity here you know if you're smart and if you uh, <laughs> if you avoid you know getting in because like basically the, everything's about money you know all like throw you in jail for money you know it's not because you're doing something wrong or whatever it's it's, it's about money mm-hmm. and the, the whole th- the whole system's a fraud that is true <laughs> as far as the government or whatever you know DARPA is the government DARPA runs I mean that is America hmm. DARPA runs what we, what we think is the deep state or whatever I mean they, that is the government right. period. And then you have the banking control, the Federal Reserve System, which is Rothschilds, and and that sort of Anglo-American 
old world control system with the ability to print money based off of nothing out of thin air and sell it to everyone. No. And and that's a you know, that's sort of a that's a Zionist they're part of it. But they want their own, you know, they want more control. Right. So there's there's those in faction, there's those fightings going on with them. And then you have, have you consider the, that to be a largely is that a Jewish power network, or do you consider it to be just? Uh, well, there's a mix because it's like a Ziocon, you know, because you got the the old world neocon that influence, but then you have a, a lot of the Jewish influence, which it, it just what it is, man, you know. And then you have all the consolidation of the the media companies, right? Yep. So when you have like six media companies owning 90% or whatever it is. And then, then you look at their parents and this always goes back to the military industrial complex, like GE owns universal blah, blah, blah. And so you can kind of see the chart and you'll know, follow the money. So it is in that level. There is that a lot of Jewish because you, you cannot deny that you cannot say that Hollywood isn't Jewish, you know, right. Disproportionately. Yeah, of course. I mean, just, it's right there. You can read mm -hmm. the credits <laughs> and, and that doesn't mean you know that that's not a negative thing. That doesn't mean a certain that that's oh like some conspiracy or whatever. No, it's just that's just how it is. But you have to be able to look at everything and then be like, well, wait a minute. If there's a national security council for president, right? Mm -hmm. And there's what ten people or twelve people or whatever. And if nine out of twelve people are Jewish, <laughs> that might be a little concern, you know? Right. They might have interests that aren't typically aligned aren't with the exactly. average American. Right. Of course. So you know. Those are concerns that are valid. <laughs> I hear you, man. I'm with you. I definitely think they're valid. And I just try to think of the Jewish faction of the elite as I would any faction or any secret society. Because the template seems to be you bring members into the group who form blood oaths to put their interests and the secrecy of their little club above all else. And then you go out in the world and you grab up as much power and influence as you can. And you help each other climb the ladder. Because that's pretty much the game plan of so many little organizations, and it works. So that's how it is. And to criticize or call out a Jewish group shouldn't be any more uncomfortable than calling out a Freemasonic allegiance or something. Not all white men are Freemasons, and not all Jews are going to be members of an elite, Azakanazi, Kabbalistic banking priesthood. But there is something there. There is something to that group or maybe multiple groups of people that are of Jewish descent that are involved in banking. That is a slice of the pie that seems pretty powerful and pretty ancient based on a lot of researchers. Exactly. And you're exactly right. So now we have a situation where through the banking, through like their choice of control, right? Banking, they have control of almost what i mean who isn't under control of the imf you know right that's becomes the game it's like obviously hollywood is a valuable tool but it ain't like banking and so you got to look at which tool is the most useful and try to do like the russian doll thing like which is the bigger <laughs> one and right. and i really do think banking has to take the cake because everything has to be under that umbrella everything is i mean hollywood's a great tool for mind control and to push agendas and propaganda which is all you see now which is, makes me sick as a as a filmmaker and mm. artist you know i'm sick of it seeing it you know so that's important and that's been done since the 50s or whatever you know Lookout Mountain up in Laurel Canyon, that's kind of where all those new technologies and film came from, and that's government. Yep. And that's what they were kind of using 
all the war propaganda stuff they were creating up there. Now we all know Lookout Canyon is related to the Laurel Canyon. Then you have the Laurel Canyon conspiracy with that David McGowan talked about. Yeah. That helped introduce these these elements through music, but they were all kind of <laughs> all these musicians were basically sons of fathers who were in the military industrial complex and things like Jim Morrison's father was the admiral that got us into a, it was the false flag of the admiral that got us in the Gulf of Tonkin into Vietnam and a lot of crazy things going on, you know. Like I don't believe in coincidence when it's like that. It's just too weird. Right. You got to look at those connections and weigh them appropriately. Also, I wanted to circle back to that earlier question of did America really win its independence or did something else happen on paper behind closed doors that didn't really match the public perception? Because you have a couple of interesting facts when it comes to answering that. For example, you say that the Jay Treaty had us paying the king 600 pounds sterling silver for their loss, which I really don't know how much that is, but you also note our property taxes. And it does frustrate me that when you own a home, you still have property taxes every year. It's really just like a rental because you cannot get past that. And with all the quote unquote debt the country is in, it really should start making more people curious about who owns this land and who really owns the Federal Reserve. The Federal Reserve is owned by a private you know, a group of international bankers. <laughs> I doubt very few Americans are on that board. Mm -hmm. You know, and we have, man, as much as I want to say that America is, like we said earlier, you know, we're free to a certain extent. And we have this illusion. But, you know, the truth is, like, these guys, you know, they were great men, these founding fathers, but they, they were flawed men, of course. But they were men of their times. So, yeah, it's kind of funny when, you know, I've been reading a lot of Vonnegut recently and uh, Breakfast of Champions and you talk about a great writer. Very funny. I mean, for 1973, this guy's writing this stuff. Unbelievable. So he's talking about Thomas Jefferson, one of the greatest free thinking libertarians writing about all this, like <laughs> the guy who wrote the freaking Constitution or whatever, you know, Bill of Rights and all this stuff. And he was a slave owner. You know, all these men were. But I think that what's lost is, you know, they were looking at not their specific time and place. They were thinking about in the future. You know, They knew, obviously, all the challenges they were facing. They were barely able to win that war, which is a miracle in the first place. And they still had to deal with the banking right. control and being hoodwinked by Hamilton and all this, right? But I think essentially what they were trying to do, because these were learned men, they were trying to lay this document for us, you know, for future generations to have freedom to be completely free. And we do have a lot and a lot more than most. I mean, you know, the right to have guns and all this is very important. You know, no one else has this, really, literally. So there's a lot of things that we are granted and, and very privileged to have and very lucky to have. But then again, we're also surrounded by bombs and traps and booby traps. And if you're black and you live in the ghetto, even worse. You know, so you got to be smart. You got to, like, use your mind. You got to navigate everything and try to figure out how to better yourself and to be good and live a good life. That way, next life, it'll be better for you. But the thing is, it's true, man. You never really own anything. You know, and I, I discovered this from my grandfather because, you know, my grandfather, he survived the war, was a fireman for like 30 years, right? You know, mm -hmm. basically typical Americana, right? Yeah. He bought his house for, I think, 12 grand in the 60s, you know, owned it completely, right? But, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. he ended up paying 
you know, just, you know, on property taxes and this and that, you know, since he owned it, probably about eight to 10 times more than it's even worth just over those, those, those periods of years. Right. Mm -hmm. So think about that, man, you buy a house, eight grand, boom, there's no incentive. There's like really no incentive to own your own house. If you think about it, because you pay it off, then what? Right. You know, you got to pay three or four grand, five grand, depending on where you live every year. Exactly. So I would think that Trump being a businessman or someone who like wanting to do good, like I would think like we can't be the first person to ever think this. <laughs> How come there's no benefit for owning your house, right? If that's the so-called the American dream. Yeah, it is a curious thing, man. It's, and, uh, yeah. Well, think about this. I, like, hold on, I'm going to cut you off. I don't mean to cut you off, but think about this. Like you, sure. You buy a condo. Like I had, like my friend Buster Mathis, right? He fought Mike Tyson. He got <laughs> he got bombed on f from Mike Tyson for a couple of rounds. They gave him like 800 grand, which is great, you know. I who hell yeah. And by <laughs> by the time the government and Don King everybody got their cut, he had like maybe 300,000 left. So he bought a condo in Coconut Grove. Sweet place. Owned it outright, right? Right. Well, then, you know, everything kind of dried up and you know, they have the, these HOA fees, like maintenance fees, right? Homeowners association fees. Mm -hmm. They want to charge you ridiculous amounts of money, you know, 500 or 1,000 or whatever it is. So after a period of not paying for a few months, then you suddenly owe them association fees. Now you owe them like two grand or three grand or whatever it is. And then all of a sudden, since you didn't pay all those association fees, guess what? That gives them the excuse to steal your apartment or your condo. Right. So they literally took his place just because, you know, he was behind on some uh, – <laughs> a place that he owned outright. And that happens a lot. You know, and the whole thing of those big condos, why they're all empty is because they want to get you in there and then apply you with these you know, HOA fees to the point where eventually you won't be able to afford it. And then they steal it from you, and that's how they do it. And same thing with houses. You can own your house, but the minute you go a couple months behind on whatever, someone will take it from you. Yeah, then – you got to pay the master. It just never ends. You can't get outside of it. You can. It's impossible. Yeah. You just got to make enough money for yourself that you can break them off and it doesn't bother you that much. That's the best you can do. That's all you can do. Yeah, that's it. Anything to, to avoid going to jail. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, oh, man. man, to switch gears a little bit, I also wanted to talk to you about your book on giants. Of course, every conspiracy show under the sun has talked about the huge number of giant skeletons and bones found in early America. But you write about actual encounters that conquistadors had with living giants, which is talked about far less and is pretty provocative. What can you tell us about this? Oh, man, that's my favorite part of the giants is talking about the conquistadors. <laughs> you know, they have firsthand accounts, which are fabulous and it's true you know we always kind of read about anything but these right mm -hmm. but to go into and find like for instance Amerigo Vespucci you know his account which is incredible he's the one that they named the Americas after right mm -hmm. Spanish conquistador from Verona so he goes and he's looking at the island of Carasau which is off the coast of Venezuela and they land you know and they see these big footprints, and they're kind of like, hmm, these are pretty bigger than normal, bigger, bigger than usual footprints. And he follows them up, <laughs> and he ends up into a little village where he finds some very tall women. And now the women of the tribe were, were they were bigger than they were. You know, these little conquistadors, probably like you know five four, five five, whatever. Mm -hmm. 
So they're kind of figuring out how can we get these, how can we take a couple of these girls back to the ship with us, right? Well, when they were formulating this plot, in came the giant men of the tribe. <laughs> <laughs> and they were like, okay. Because these guys were like nine foot tall. So they were like, okay, let's, uh, let's rethink this. So they kind of just backed up slowly and, and got out of there, right? You know, they fired off a couple cannons, you know, <laughs> to scare them yeah. when they're going away. So anyways, and, and he names the Carousel the Island of Giants. Yeah. Boom. Pretty cool. It is, man. And I also, I could be wrong, but I think this from your book, I wrote it down as an Americo Vespucci story. But there was this uh, one encounter where they pull up on a naked giant just dancing and they take him to like their leader or whatever and they're trying to communicate and he's trying to figure out where these conquistadors would have came from this giant is and he points to the sky he's like did you guys come from the sky and uh it's like what the fuck why would he make that assumption not point like across the ocean perhaps or really anywhere but up in the sky because at that time there should be nothing coming from the sky well, it's fabulous you brought that up. I think that is uh, either Magellan or uh, oh, it is Magellan. It is Magellan. Yeah, when they go down to Patagonia, and that's okay. When they get down to the bottom of Argentina and they get towards the Arctic, and that's when they're finding these huge. And we actually have pictures of this because they were the kind of sort of the last live giants that they discovered. So there's pictures, you know, of these massive nine, ten foot tall Patagonian giants, and they were kind of like ape like. Pretty much dancing around and throwing dung, and <laughs> they, they, they weren't they weren't too bright. Yeah. So you have those live giants, but then you have the other giants with, you know, mentioning the fact that pointing to the sky. Now this is this is very interesting because Columbus was asked the same thing. Now Columbus actually had a UFO sighting before he reached shores. They saw the orbs. So he had a UFO sighting that was actually kind of sort of a USO because they kind of went into the water. And then when he actually met the Tanyo Indians, the first thing they asked him is he was from the sky. Yeah. I think this happened to Bizarro too. Same thing. Like, why are they asking you if you're from the sky, right? <laughs> Supposedly nothing's flying around. Now, this is kind of interesting because it relates to the cargo cult and the John From story. Mm -hmm. uh, you, fam you familiar with that? A little bit, but tell the people for anyone who isn't. Okay, well, John Frum was an African-American fighter pilot during World War II, and he crash-landed in the area down in the South Pacific, you know, near the Papua New Guinea. Mm -hmm. So he survived it, and when he left, the Aborigines there, you know, because he looked like them, thought he was like a god. So they constructed, you know, a big plane, right? They had festivals for him. They kind of imitated him. He was like their their god, so they worshipped him. And this guy was just a fighter pilot, crash landing. <laughs> so if that happened in the forties, you know, if it happened thousand years ago, kind of why why would why would it change? You know? Yeah, it could be a very parallel type of story. Right. So the fact that you got natives asking if you come from the sky, basically saying they saw something flying in the sky. What was flying in the sky? That's the question. <laughs> right. It's a curious thing, man. And uh. Yeah, like you mentioned the Patagonia stuff, which I thought was really interesting because I'm always down for anything involving Antarctica, especially now. It's a very 
um, interesting place because it is so huge and underexplored. You got Lockheed Martin down there. You got treaties that say you can't go there without really serious permission from very important organizations. So it is odd to hear about something like giants down there because who knows what they might find. There might be ruins down there. There might be all kinds of stuff is, you know, it's conspiracy. The rumors circulate, but to uh, have those pictures of the Ona tribe down there, I thought that was pretty awesome. Yeah, that's, that's cool. And, and exactly if these super tall natives, which are, I mean, they're right there in the Arctic basically. So if there's, they were still around, who knows what's actually down in Antarctica, which has always been mysterious. I had a friend who was down there, stationed down there. And I guess he was working at Lake Vostok, which really doesn't get mentioned about, but it was really important. You know, one of the lakes that they actually found, you know, deep water living organisms and like crazy cold water. So Lake Vostok has been very interesting. They've known about that since at least the early 2000s. Now you have all the rumors going on. Did they find an Atlantis or something? So it's, you know, it's interesting because we know certain things happen. Like we know there was an Operation High Jump. We know Admiral Byrd went over there. And I've always kind of believed that in the Earth, like the hollow Earth, right? Yeah, that's my shit right there. Yeah, me too, man. That's told. like I've always thought that was <laughs> – I thought the whole flat Earth thing is just a distraction so you don't – actually learn about the hollow earth (laughs) so the hollow earth you know very interesting especially when you got admiral bird flying over parts that weren't frozen you know that had vegetation Mm -hmm. so what's that about and then like you said there's areas you're not allowed to go to so you know who 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 really knows we can't really be tourists because we don't have access to certain places right like all the cool places we can't go to like in cuba for example i lived in guantanamo bay when i was a teenager right and our teacher used to tell us about how there was pyramids and stuff in the mountains like in the sierra madres and all. the areas like you're not allowed to go in basically they had found Damn. yeah and which is very interesting because you have supposedly if you go in the top part of cuba a little bit off the northern side, they found some scientists. I think it was Canadian and Russian scientists found some submerged buildings. It looked like some Mayan temples and stuff. So damn, yeah. And then like you know, there's no update. They're not allowed to explore any further, right? Because it blows the whole thing wide open. You know, if you have Mayan temples or whatever, and actual Mayan pyramids in Cuba, it might mean that those things are actually older. Mm-hmm. and not even built by the Maya. They could be from a time when the Caribbean was higher, right? True. And that kind of goes into like the whole idea that there was an asteroid that kind of hit off North Carolina. Yeah, in the Younger Dryas period. Exactly, yes. Something happened. About 12,800 years ago. Yep, yep. So that's why they're kind of trying to say now, like, oh, there's humans here 100,000 years ago or something in California. Which is interesting, but like, how come they don't talk about the footprints and the ashes and the volcanic ashes or whatever like <laughs> you know that are super old that they found in mexico and the geological the u.s army came in and said they were because they found some carvings in a mastodon bone or something and they found some evidence that appeared that there were humans there over two hundred fifty thousand years ago they just kind of shut it down mm. this is in the 70s you know so they know <laughs> they know 
It's just that control. It's and it goes back to keeping this the sly of evolution and keeping the royal academies and keeping this constructed narrative of their false timeline of history in check. Man, they got to keep it. So that's the only thing, you know. Nothing will disturb that, right? So they have to make sure. And this is this is why the giants get no love, you know. They kind of, <laughs> despite every culture in the world and every in every history and all the Bible and everything, it's just nothing but giants. <laughs> but well, that's that's the thing, man. I mean, this is amazing stuff. There's clearly something there, but these giants seem to be everywhere. Just a couple hundred years ago, based on these stories, could all trace really have been wiped away that easily? If they did exist so recently, it seems odd that we can't find any exactly and, and this is kind of okay just going off biblical stuff right mm -hmm. the giants were created they weren't created they were the offspring of the relations of the angels right like the fallen angels right they were okay let's take it back first of all there was the creation of these races the adama adama or whatever adama whatever because it's the adam like it wasn't like one person, uh, you know, it was like a race. Genetic engineering, is that the kind of thing? Like, Yeah, exactly. Genetic okay. engineering. And one of the first races was the Adams and Eves, so to speak, right? But then they were given this sort of knowledge by the reptilian, and God got mad, so he punished them. Cause, so he left them out in the world, punished them. But then the problem was the angels were like, damn, these, these, these Eves are kind of hot. <laughs> uh, so they started playing around with them, and they were grabbing them by the pussy. <laughs> I do the Trump tactic, you know. So basically, you know, they were giving birth to the giants, but then the giants were like kind of like cannibalistic. They weren't very good. So it caused like the gods to be like, yo, we got to, you know, this, this experiment has gone long enough and it's just, we got to get rid of these assholes basically. And that so, cannibalistic element is consistent with the stories from Native Americans and the people who saw these actual giants, right? I was, I was just about to say, it's very interesting. <laughs> we have the same thing in, in the Native American histories about these cannibalistic giants and that they were destroyed specifically because the great spirit was tired of the shit. So, <laughs> you know, same thing in the biblical. So we have this collective consciousness of very wicked giants messing shit up and needing to be destroyed. And that's kind of what happened. So after this, we know that all of them couldn't have possibly died because even in the Bible, there were still giants they had to go kill, right? Mm -hmm. There were still Goliath, you know? There were still the, the sons of Anak, right? When when Moses is making his way to the promised land and, and his little scouts come back and says, like, yo, bro, we got a problem. <laughs> you know, Jerusalem was cool and all, but there's the, there's the sons of Anak, you know? How are we going to beat them? They're a bunch of giants, you know? So a lot of part of the Bible is figuring out how to get rid of the pesky giants that actually survived. Huh. So if those ones survived... What's to say that all the way across, you know, in the Western Hemisphere, they wouldn't survive too? Now, obviously, they did. We found evidence of it, right? First-person mm -hmm. accounts. But the thing is, you know, we're we're kind of looking for the the real, like, real giants, you know, like fifteen, twenty foot, you know, all this stuff. Yeah. I don't think, you know, there was ever sort of like a thirty-foot giant. Twenty foot is kind of stretching as well. I guess it depends on what point in history. With the atmosphere, because we know certain types of history, there's certain atmospheres that, you know, giant things are bigger, right? Right. It changed like the dinosaurs couldn't exist in the current environment we have. It had to be different at that time. So it could have had giant people, too. Exactly. So I think at some point, you know, there could have been a, a more giant. 
based on that. And I think what happens is just like anything in genetics, you have because a lot of the native, like when they encountered the giant chiefs, who were all basically most of the chiefs were giants, you know, nine foot, ten feet, uh, very astounding, right? Mm-hmm. To these, <laughs> to the conquistadors, and it was because they had, it was selective breeding, right? So it was keeping that because the giants, you know, because usually it goes to semi-divine, divine, right? And we keep the bloodline, you know, so. Hmm. These the taller ones, you know, they had been part of the keeping the, the bloodline together, and that's kind of why there were still some left. Because mm-hmm. not all of them were were giants, and a lot of times you'll find most, especially in the mounds, the, you know, when they start digging up the mounds and everything, most of the the Indians were about seven, seven and a half feet tall, which is still very tall. So, you know, that's a good indicator of that they were kind of related, and they still had these DNA and these genetics of these this ancient race you know and and we have giants now like seven footers i'm watching the playoffs and Hmm. (laughs) a lot of tall dudes out there so the idea that the giant is nothing but a myth or a fairy tale is complete nonsense yeah and you know your book is full of those great newspaper clippings from early america that describe the giant bone findings And there are just so many of them. I wanted to read this one as an example because it is from the New York Times in 1886. It says, Cartersville, Georgia, the water has receded from the Tumlin Mound Field and has left uncovered acres of skulls and bones. Some of these are gigantic. If the whole frame is in proportion to the two thigh bones that were found, their owner must have stood 14 feet tall. Many curious ornaments of shell, brass, and stone have been found. Some of the bodies were buried in small vaults made of stone. A representative from the Smithsonian is here investigating the curious relics. So that one hits on all the high points. I mean, 14 feet tall. And of course, it gives the Smithsonian a mention for good measure, which was a big part of the story, too. But I like that one. That's a great one. And it basically illustrates the fact that the Smithsonian always, they usually end with the Smithsonian showing up or we shipped off the bones to the Smithsonian, you know. And then you never heard, never heard from again. Mm-hmm. Amen, man. Well, this has been a, a blast, man. I could do it all day. Fascinating books. Ancient mysteries are some of my favorites, and we covered quite a bit. Do remind the folks at home where they can check out more of your work or get in touch with you or any other projects you're going to be coming out with next. Yeah, you could get a hold of me on Facebook and you know, have a blog and have an online metaphysical library with free books, free books and free lectures at XavianVision.com. You know, I have books coming out. I think I have one coming out in the fall about ancient aliens in the Bible. Mm. So I'm going to talk about that. And then another giant's book is coming out in spring that goes into more Middle Eastern myths and some Russian stuff. And, uh, you know, just keep on keeping on. (laughs) Yeah, that's all we can do, man. Well, thanks again, pimp. Keep doing what you do. And I'm sure we'll talk again down the line. We will. We'll talk again. Thanks, man. You got it. Appreciate it. Love your show. Oh, thanks. Boom, people. Xavier Hayes, my man, bringing it. And he loves the show. How about that? And I love the guy's books. Fascinating range of stuff. And we definitely went over some of the finer points from our last show a couple years ago because of that bad audio quality we had. Obviously, much better this time around. But I think that Shemsu horse stuff is just really interesting. The earliest insights into a banking priesthood that is represented by the serpent. 
You know, I love it. And I haven't heard about that group anywhere else, really, besides Xavier's book. And then the Jim Henson Sinclair family Disney saga. That's a perfect story wrapped in a neat little conspiratorial package. And I have no doubt that many people have died over mega corporations wanting rights to various shows or musical catalogs and all that sorts of stuff. I even think people die for patents and other things unrelated to the music industry and various rights and holdings. If we've learned anything on this long, wild ride, it's that they do not fuck around at those upper levels. They are cold. So I don't doubt that at all. And the St. Clair bloodline representing themselves with a brontosaurus is provocative. And if I wanted to take the air out of that, I could say that the story about oil used to be that it came from dinosaurs, and so that representation isn't terribly odd. But then taking that symbol and making a show that mocks a dim-witted family of dinosaurs called the Sinclairs, that's just icing on the cake. So, touche, Jim Henson. But I think this is a fun episode all around. Maybe more casual than some of the recent shows, like with Dr. Skinner and McKay Jenkins. I mean, those are fairly academic exposés on specific topics. But this is more of a conspiratorial Pandora's box going into everything from banking to living giants to Lewis and Clark to the hollow earth. I mean, I'm a happy man. (laughs) So, all right, now we're going to get into some THC updates for you. I mentioned a server move and I'm getting enough messages now in my inbox to know there's a problem with the feed updating for some people, but not so many that it's everyone. So I don't know exactly what's going on. What's been happening is we have so many people accessing the RSS feed for the free show. So many hits bottlenecked into that one directory that it overloads the server. And I don't know if it's an issue with how I've structured the site itself that is just now showing itself. Maybe there's a more efficient way to do it. Or maybe I just need to spend more money and knock this bitch up a tier. But we tried to help the load with some caching services, meaning like it serves up a snapshot of the page rather than the live page itself. And my web guy set that up with something called Cloudfare, and it's all a little bit over my head. But I get the feeling that it's that process that is causing people to see a less than current show list in the feed. So just bear with me. I recognize there is a little bit of an issue, and I'm going to move the websites back to one of the previous hosts that I had success with because the free site was hosted with InMotion, and it was constantly going down. A lot of times I'd go to upload a new show and be like, what the hell, the site's down again? So it was an issue. But the Plus site has always been hosted with Bluehost and was up 99% of the time. So I'm going to take everything, free and Plus and clothing, back over to Bluehost as soon as I can. Personally, I think that I have made the websites themselves so easy to use that it's not the end of the world. If you're not getting the updated show feed, just please go to the website and listen to the show. It's really not that inconvenient, and it's only going to be for a short time. There's also a weird thing with higher side chats in Google search results, where it's all Chinese and says that we were hacked or something. That is just an issue with the website's country code, the Unicode, I guess it's called. I have no idea how that got changed in the server move, but again, I paid someone to do it, so I didn't want to make these sorts of mistakes. And they happened anyway. So everything's cool, guys. Nothing is fucked here. Nothing is fucked. Yes, we're a conspiracy show, but these are not conspiracy issues. They're ignorance issues on my part. 
Also, if you're a Plus member, I uploaded a special bonus show last week that you might have missed. It is my review, breakdown, summary, cliff notes from the Science of Consciousness conference. It's over an hour long because there was a lot of content I sat through over the course of, I think, four and a half days. And we talk about everything from the latest research in mind-controlled VR and AI advancements to how Pokemon Go affects our dreams and the true path of mind-melding with finches. It's full of interesting results from a bunch of recent studies. So check that out if you are a beautiful, precious Plus member. And if you aren't, maybe it's a reason to sign up because it's something you can't get any other way. So come on in for the five bucks, listen to that conference show, go back and listen to the full version of some of your favorite previous episodes, get a lifetime forum membership, and then cancel. You don't need to be a Plus member forever, and it is nice. Oh my God, it's so nice when people say that they are in it for the long haul. It's a big stress reliever to hear those kind of things. But I don't think it's too much to ask for people who listen for free to give me a little $5 tip once in a while. Hop in and hop out and get those bonuses for themselves. So consider even a temporary membership because it still does mean a lot to me. And what else? Oh, uh, higher side clothing. So I am switching printers because I have had some hiccups with the current one and I do think we can do better. And I have a pretty good relationship with these guys from We Produce. They actually listen to the show So they get me, and they also want the quality and consistency to be high, which is amazing, because right now, with the company I'm at, I'm just one of a thousand clients, and they really don't give a shit, and I know that, and so I can't make them give a shit, I have to just move. And they handle all the customer service that we produce, which is a huge help to me, so that switch is happening really soon, probably before the next show even comes out. And when it launches, I've also added two new designs that weren't there before. If you remember me saying so, all these new designs at Higher Side Clothing are based off specific Higher Side Chats episodes. So we have a Hollow Earth design, JP Morgan sinking the Titanic, Baphomet and the Templars, the Archon control system, a cryptid lineup, all sorts of amazing designs that I am so happy with. I don't think there's really anything like this in a t-shirt company. And the newest design is based off the ancient aliens slash pig chimp hybrid show that me and Gordon did a while back. I showed it to him. I think he got a kick out of it. And I personally love it. It's a team of greys stitching up a pig chimp hybrid Frankenstein style. And it's pretty cool. Also, since we switched to higher side clothing from Conspiracies because there were too many copycat companies popping up and I'm not a lawsuit kind of guy, but I also don't like people fucking with my shit. When we made that switch, we went with all new designs and there hasn't been just a straight higher side chats design. And that's what people have been asking about. So we got one now and I think it's pretty awesome. It's completely new. The font for the text is modeled after the game Bioshock, because I love that aesthetic, if you're familiar. And it's three symbols, an all-seeing eye representing conspiracy, a UFO representing paranormal, and a pentagram representing the occult. And I think those are THC's three main subject areas. It's perfect. It's simple, but it embodies what THC is, and it's the kind of logo that can come in multiple colors and configurations like real clothing brands do. So I'm just psyched about that. 
Then next is women's shirts, also coming very soon. I want to make the switch to We Produce, let them get into the groove for a few weeks, and then I can code in all the stuff for women's shirts. I've already talked to them about it and made all the important decisions. So we are close, ladies, and I apologize for that long, long delay. But I feel good. I'm catching up on some things. And I know this is a long update on just stuff you can spend money on, which is kind of like a commercial but I have to find a way to update you guys. And I personally hate when I turn on a podcast and it's an interview with someone I really like and I'm pumped to get into it and I get in the car, start driving, I put on the podcast and 15 minutes later, I'm where I need to be and the guest hasn't even been introduced yet. And so I always wait until the end of these shows and it's not a perfect system either because if you just happen to not like or finish this particular episode, maybe you feel a little bit out of the loop. But because podcasts are just auditory experiences and based on RSS feed subscriptions, sending an email or even putting some type of notification on the website itself is only going to reach maybe half the listeners. So it's really all got to be on air because that is how we stay in touch. You could follow me on social media too. I try to do updates on Twitter and Facebook, but if it's not important to you, then don't worry about it. I'm just saying, if you've had some frustrations with the feed or the lack of communication about the feed and the server move, I apologize. It's just finding the best channels to communicate those sorts of things without interrupting the flow of the episodes here, because to me, that's what's most important, and the rest is going to work itself out. You know, that's the philosophy that's gotten me this far. Just make sure the on-air content is good and the interviews are as solid as they can be, and people will stick around through the rest. But back to today's episode, I did think we covered a lot of great ground and going over reports of living giant encounters from not so long ago was a nice switch from the giant skeleton remains stuff that gets talked about a lot. And in the Plus show, we got into some other pretty wild stuff. The Paxton Hayes saga, John Quincy Adams' interest in the inner earth and its devastating effects to his political career. We got into the excavation Xavier is personally involved in and how close he is to perhaps uncovering the lost Dutchman mine and proof of a lost race of giants, other legends of lost cities and hidden treasures, drone ranges, modern day giant reports from the caves in the Solomon Islands, the Lovelock cave giants, ghost tales from Xavier's own haunted home. Also, some smaller museums that you might be able to get to bring the giant bones up from the basement if you happen to be in those areas. Cool stuff from his book, The Suppressed History of America, The Murder of Meriwether Lewis and the Mysterious Discoveries of the Lewis and Clark Expedition, Why Presidents Go Gray, Why We Have Hamilton the Musical and Not Jackson the Musical. Solid stuff. I love treasure hunting stories, and Xavier seems to be right on the cusp of a possible discovery, and it worked itself out because he didn't want to say too much about it or get too far ahead of himself, and it came out in the second hour anyway, so he doesn't have to worry too much about too much being said before it's ready to be said because of the smaller pool of listeners. But I'm definitely going to be looking for updates on that. Fingers crossed for him. And again, sign up for THC Plus if you want to go deeper into the higher side rabbit hole and all your wildest dreams will come true. TheHiresideChatsPlus.com, and that's it for me today. I've done my part. Your move, sorcerers of money magic, reptilian priesthoods of the old kingdom, and cave giants of the underworld. Your fucking move. Oh no, you see, the world isn't random, it's 
attached to puppet strings Control over everything A nine to five is trying to steal ya Now don't that job seem silly Hello, can you hear me? Or should I play back recordings From some spy agency Wish we were younger and free I'll be thankful when it's all exposed The vast conspiracy There's such a difference Between us and the damn Doubling your time 